That was the news, and welcome to the very first episode of Tune Breaks the News here on 106.9 Tune FM. My name is Jake, and I'll be taking you through another wild week of 2020 in the news. This week, Kamala Harris was announced as Joe Biden's running mate for the upcoming presidential election. New Zealand recorded its first coronavirus cases in weeks with the resurfacing of cases in Auckland. And Clive Palmer announced legal action against the Western Australian government. But as per usual in this show, we're going to be kicking off with some of the news stories that you didn't hear about this week. A little bit later in the show, we're going to be breaking down one of the major news stories of the week and giving you just the pure facts so that you can find out a little bit more about it. And of course, we'll finish up the show with some good news so that you uh, aren't getting coronavirus all up in your face all of the time. But we will start with some of the news stories that you didn't hear about this week. And we'll start with one that has been in the news a little bit, uh, perhaps not as much as it should have. Pro-democracy protests have broken out in the former Soviet state of Belarus after the re-election of President Alexander Lukashenko. Lukashenko has been the head of state of Belarus since 1994, which is the longest tenure in the former Soviet Union. And he's been referred to as Europe's last dictator, having not had a serious challenger for the last five Belarusian elections. He is seen as an authoritarian ruler, being known for oppressing his political opposition in previous election campaigns. But this time around, Lukashenko has come under scrutiny for his government's handling of the coronavirus pandemic, which the president denied was a serious threat. Thus far, Belarus has recorded over 69,000 confirmed cases of COVID-19 and 600 deaths from the virus. Activism against Lukashenko in the lead-up to the election resulted in nationwide unrest, with at least two protesters being killed, 200 injured and over 6,000 detained. On the election day, on the 9th of August, roads and entries to the capital city of Minsk were blocked by military and police, and the internet in Belarus was partially blocked. But demonstrations broke out yet again when exit polls seemingly indicated falsified results, suggesting that Lukashenko had won in a landslide with over 80% of the vote against opposition candidate Svetlana Shikhanovskaya. Shikhanovskaya uh, has since left Belarus, seeking refuge in Lithuania, while violent protests and attacks and censorship against journalists continue under the ongoing Lukashenko regime. United Nations spokesperson Stefan Dujaric has stated that the UN is following the post-election developments with great concern and has called on Belarusian authorities to show maximum restraint and ensure full respect for the rights of freedom of expression, peaceful assembly and association. Hopefully more news to come out of Belarus very soon, but it remains a uh, hostile situation as protesters clash with police. Moving on to another story that hasn't had any news coverage this week, and as tensions between Iran and the United States remain high, the US military is preparing to conduct test flights of drones over major American cities. General Atomics, which is a U.S. energy and defense company, has planned to fly a military-grade version of its Sky Guardian drone over San Diego in California at some time this year. These test flights are an effort to integrate the drones into airspace alongside commercial airlines and to map critical infrastructure in the drone's systems. The Sky Guardian is a surveillance drone with a 24-meter wingspan and the ability to survey the ground from more than 2,000 feet in the sky. It's also known as the Predator B, a more advanced version of the Predator drone, which conducted operations overseas in the American War on Terror. According to General Atomics, these test flights could result in commercial airspace being open to drones, although the test models will reportedly not be weaponized. 
There are also reports that the drones could become a tool for government response to natural disasters such as floods and wildfires. While the technology has been hailed by some as a positive step in public safety, there are concerns over privacy and the use of the drones against American citizens, especially due to their previous role against adversaries overseas. So keep an eye out for news on that later this year, as the first test flight is set to, set to take place over San Diego later in 2020. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM, where Tune FM breaks the news, and we're going to go to a song break with Mitch James and Sunday Morning. Open the door and let me in Close on the floor before we say a word Baby, I like the way you operate Take off the halo from your head Crazy how you can be two different girls Right now I love the way you are But when you wake up You put on that angel face again Telling me, telling me everything we did was wrong But you were the one Brought me home You say You're a saint And I'm a sinner But I guess that I'm good enough When you're lonely That's when you call me Yeah, yeah You're a saint I'm a sinner But I guess that I'm good enough When it's 3am and you're lonely As long as I'm gone by Sunday, Sunday morning Sunday, 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 Sunday morning Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. You say that we could never work Telling me that we come from different worlds You don't even like the way I operate So why did you call me up again Kissing me like you never said a word I guess it's just the way you are But when you wake up You put on that angel face again Telling me, telling me everything we did was wrong But you were the one who brought me home You said You're a saint And I'm a sinner But I guess that I'm good enough When you're lonely That's when you call me Yeah, yeah You're a saint I'm a sinner But I guess that I'm good enough When it's 3am and you're lonely As long as I'm gone by Sunday, Sunday morning Sunday, 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 Sunday morning Sunday,
Mitch James with Sunday Morning. Welcome back to Tune Breaks the News here on 106.9 Tune FM. We're going to move on to analyzing our major story for today. Russia has made claims to be the first country to successfully approve a coronavirus vaccine this week, despite concerns from the widespread scientific community as to the stringency of its testing and potential safety for public use. The Philippines have also become one of the first countries to announce that they will test the new vaccine, with President Rodrigo Duterte offering himself up as a guinea pig to take the very first jab. And in recently breaking news, Russian officials have supposedly reached out to the United States in order to accelerate access to an effective vaccine, an approach which the Americans have declined due to a, quote, general sense of mistrust of Russians on the American side. So who do we trust? What do we know for sure? And is this vaccine likely to work? Well, the vaccine, which has been dubbed Sputnik V in an apparent display of national pride in the achievement, was developed by the Gamaleya Research Institute of Epidemiology and Microbiology in Moscow, and it was funded by Russia's Ministry of Health. The vaccine would be administered in two shots, 21 days apart, both containing a modified version of a virus that would ordinarily cause a common cold. However, both have been given the gene for the spike protein from the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which allows the virus to enter human cells. So in theory, this should be effective in priming the immune system for an encounter with the actual coronavirus. However, there are concerns about the extent to which this vaccine has been tested. Vaccines are put through three phases of trials. A first trial to determine a safe dose, a second trial to test whether the vaccine actually triggers an immune response, and a final large-scale trial to find out whether the vaccine actually protects against infection with the virus that it is meant to be fighting. However, according to some sources, including Science Magazine New Scientist and epidemiologist Gideon Meyerowitz-Katz, the vaccine has only pre-registered results for the first two phases of trials, which showed no adverse effects and a positive immune response. But the third phase only began earlier this week. In other words, there is no way to completely determine 100% yet whether the vaccine is effective in triggering an immune response to COVID-19. The most obvious risk here is that failure in phase three of tests would mean that the vaccine would not pre effectively prevent or protect against the coronavirus. The danger is that if people take the vaccine and then believe themselves to be immune when the vaccine actually doesn't work that way, they'll put themselves in harm's way, potentially spreading the virus further and causing many more deaths. But scientists have also expressed concerns that without trial data, there is no way to be sure that the vaccine doesn't present other risks, such as dangerous side effects, as well as socio-political risks, exacerbating claims of unfounded dangers of vaccination if this particular vaccine turns out to be either dangerous or ineffective. So, is the Russian vaccine going to save the day? Well, the answer is it's far too early to tell. The suggestion from the scientific community is that Russia seems to have jumped the gun in announcing this vaccine and further trials still need to be conducted to ensure its safety and effectiveness. However, if Russian claims about the results of the first two phases of trials are true and accurate, then there are some promising early signs. So watch this space, but definitely don't go injecting yourself with anything that isn't proven to be safe. 
Uh, we'll keep an eye on that one. And hopefully there may be some positive results in phase three of trials for that one. There is some more good news, though. According to the World Health Organization, six different vaccines are currently in phase three trials with more than 100 others in development and showing positive early results. There are hopes that a vaccine will be ready and rolled out within the next 12 months. So that's some wonderful news indeed. We're going to go right back to another music break just now. When we come back, we're going to be talking about some good and interesting news to make sure that you're bright and happy uh, despite all of the negative things that is normally thrown at you in the news. That'll be right when we come back. This is Love Songs by Daryl Braithwaite. Thought it was the end said that it's not the end of the world I'm waiting for that feeling But nothing ever felt quite like being yours It's so good to see you here tonight Better yet to see it in your eyes You've been feeling something just like I did Needed just a little space and time To get rid of all these alibis Suddenly I see it in my mind, yeah You know, I've been riding up
That was Love Songs by Daryl Braithwaite, and welcome back to Tune Breaks the News here on 106.9 Tune FM. We're going to move on to a little bit of interesting and good news now. And first up into an interesting breaking science story. Uh, An evolutionary biologist at Rice University has discovered a parasite hiding inside a fish's mouth that had eaten the fish's tongue and then replaced it. The parasite, which is known as a tongue-eating louse, is found in a variety of fish and ecosystems, but it's not known to what degree. And this accidental discovery could lead to further research into the creature. It was discovered by Assistant Professor Corey Evans at the Department of Biosciences at Rice. Uh, He'd been working on a project involving scanning hundreds of species of wrasses with a particular interest in their skulls. He's been posting his research on Twitter with the hashtag BackDatRassUp, which is uh, the most hilarious thing I've heard this week. Uh, but the parasite he discovered is a type of crustacean, which enters through a fish's gills, settles on their tongue, and then severs the blood vessels and feeds off that blood until the tongue dies, and then it effectively replaces it. They aren't a common find in this species of fish, though, which are a herbivorous fish, as they prefer the carnivorous snapper. However, we will hopefully find out more soon, as Evans has stated that he hopes to write about the tongue-eating louse as a side project after his digitizing of the RAS skull scans is complete. That's a very interesting story indeed. You can find out more. There's a story on it at edition.cnn.com. Moving on to a dose of good news for this week, and an elephant named Kavan, dubbed the loneliest elephant in the world, is finally headed for a sanctuary where it will have some friends and companionship after a court ordered re- order, a court order sorry, resulted in him being released from the Murghazar Zoo in Islamabad, Pakistan. The 35-year-old Asian elephant had spent a decade without a friend or playmate, and many groups and individuals had fought for his release over the past five years. The Pakistani High Court ruled that the elephant should be released, and according to a recent report from Euronews, if Kavan is deemed healthy for travel, he will be relocated to the Elephant Nature Park in Cambodia, which is a sanctuary for rescued animals run by elephant expert Lek Shailet. You can see more of Shailet's work in the documentary Love and Bananas, an Elephant Story, as she is renowned for her work in her sanctuary. The court ruling has also ordered for dozens of other animals at the zoo, including its brown bears, lions and birds, to be relocated temporarily while the zoo improves its standards. I'll endeavour to keep you updated on how Kavan travels on his journey to his new home in Cambodia. And lastly, a bit of weird news for you. If you thought your license photo was bad, a woman in Tennessee can probably claim the worst license photo of all time. After a glitch at her local DMV resulted in her receiving a photo of an empty chair on her license. Apparently, a photo was accidentally snapped of the vacant seat where license photos are usually taken and then uploaded onto the processing license as the most recent photo in the system. It caused quite a stir at her workplace. Her boss joked that he mistook the chair outside his office for her. And the DMV worker initially didn't believe her when she called in to get a replacement license and said that they'd never seen anything like it before. The woman has taken the mistake well, though, saying that it lightened the mood amidst all of the coronavirus pandemic going on and provided her and her co-workers with a few good laughs. I'd love to hear if your license photo can top that. And I certainly feel a whole lot better about mine all of a sudden. We'll be right back with you very soon here on Tune Breaks the News. We're going to go into a little bit of interesting history for you. Uh, After this song break, this is True Colours by Cindy Lauper.
That was True Colours by Cindy Lauper, and you're listening to Tune Breaks the News here on 106.9 Tune FM. Well, our last little segment is going to be a bit of interesting history to make sure that you're hearing something that might intrigue you once a week and uh, maybe encourage you to do a little bit of looking into some interesting stuff yourself. In this week's history segment, we're going to be talking about the real-life stories behind the 1992 classic horror film Candyman. In the film, the vengeful spirit of an African-American artist who was uh, killed after having an affair with a white woman begins to terrorize Helen, a graduate student researching the Candyman legend. 
The famous antagonist is summoned after his name is said into a mirror and he kills with his rusty hook hand. Since the debut of the film, the Candyman has become a real-life urban legend. But the real stories that inspired the movie are arguably even more chilling and interesting. For example, the initial murder in the film is inspired by a real incident. The murder of Ruthie Mae McCoy, a resident of the ABLA homes on the south side of Chicago. On the night of the 22nd of April 1987, a 911 call was received from McCoy's home requesting help from the police. She told her dispatcher that someone in the apartment next door was trying to come through her bathroom mirror. These claims confused the dispatcher, who thought at the time that McCoy may have been hallucinating, but she was actually right. As made famous in the film, narrow passages between the apartments in this block had been built to allow maintenance workers easy access. However, they had been frequently used by burglars to break in by pushing the bathroom cabinet out of the wall. Police were eventually dispatched after a neighbor, neighbor reported gunshots coming from McCoy's apartment, but they chose not to break down the door due to the risk of being sued by the residents if they had done so. A building superintendent eventually discovered McCoy's body two days later. She had been shot four times. No one is quite sure why this murder was chosen by director Bernard Rose for the film, but it has been suggested that the details were shared with Rose by fellow director John Malkovich after Rose decided to shoot his film in Chicago. But it isn't just the factual details that are shockingly accurate in Candyman. The movie takes place and was partially filmed at the Cabrini Green housing project on the near north side of Chicago. These houses were these homes, sorry, were built to house thousands of African American people who came to Chicago for work during the Great Migration, escaping the terror of the American South. They were modern apartments for the time. They featured gas stoves, indoor plumbing and bathrooms, uh, hot water and even climate control to help get through the chilly Chicago winters. Initially, they were a very decent standard of living. But racism-fueled neglect from the Chicago Housing Authority led to Cabrini Green eventually becoming a nightmare. By the 1990s, when the film was made, 15,000 people, mostly African-American, were living in the dilapidated buildings with rife crime resulting from poverty and the drug trade. The buildings are in full view of Chicago's famous Sears Tower. Around the time that Candyman premiered in 1992, a report revealed that only 9% of residents in Cabrini-Green had access to a paying job. The rest were relying on assistance grants and many unfortunately turning to crime in order to survive. Thematically as well then, Candyman is frighteningly accurate, drawing attention to a blemish on the face of the city of Chicago. So as well as its inspiration from actual urban legend and from Clive Barker's 1985 short story, Candyman draws a lot from terrifying and horrible truth. Since the film's release, the high-rise buildings of Cabrini-Green have been demolished, leaving only the original 586 row houses, of which only 150 are currently occupied. Former residents are receiving assistance to relocate into racially integrated communities and gain access to social services. Since the demolition, crime statistics have also decreased significantly and efforts continue to support the former residents today. So there is a happy ending to that side of the story.
Well, we'll finish today's show with a weekly pop culture recommendation. I'm going to be recommending something that you should watch, listen to, something like that every week uh, so that you've got something to do, especially if you are spending a little bit more time indoors. And this week I'm recommending a movie. It is called The Red Turtle. It was released in 2016, directed by Michael Dudok DeWitt. It's a collaboration between Japan's famous Studio Ghibli with French filmmakers and production companies, and it creates a beautiful animated film. It has no dialogue throughout the entire film, but it does have a magnificent soundscape of natural sounds and a very intricate animation style. The story is simple, but it's a disarming parable that viewers of all ages will fall in love with. You can buy or rent it on YouTube. It is also available on DVD and Blu-ray. I highly recommend it. I fell in love with it when I first uh, saw it. You are listening to 106.9 Tune FM. That is Tune Breaks the News. It's been a pleasure to be with you as always. We're going to go back to the music with another song from 1985 now. It is Broken Wings by Mr. Mister. I will see you at the same time next week for Tune Breaks the News next Friday from 5 o'clock. Have a nice night.